Lord Jesus, we lift you up in this place this morning. God, we declare that you're a good and loving God, that you're a faithful God, that you're not a far off, distant, unknowable God, but you are close to us and that you desire relationship with us. And so this morning, God, we lean in. We tune our ears to hear from you this morning. God, would you speak from your word? We want to hear from you, Lord. We don't want to come in and walk away the same this morning. We want to experience your presence, the privilege it is to come into your presence, to be carriers of your presence and to worship you and have that change us to make us more like Jesus this morning. God, we thank you for the people in the room. We thank you for those watching at home, online. God, we are all part of your family, all part of your community. And we ask this morning that you would be drawing us together in unity and and preparing us for a new season. God, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So good. Thanks, team. I've got to do a little cough. Sorry. Was it, did I need to announce it? Probably not. <laughs> if I just coughed, you would have known. Um, I just I want this over here. <laughs> Who knows what would happen if I put it over, if it was over there? I don't know. Like, would I be as good at preaching? I don't know. I don't know. Good morning. You're stoked to be here? Yes. Uh, some of you, perhaps, maybe some of you are like, yes, I'm aware there's been a change. It's Pastor Lauren. Some of you maybe thought it was finally going to be Pastor Brad today. And I hope that you're not disappointed. <laughs> he is watching online. Hello, Pastor Brad. Um, he's just still, still not feeling great. So uh, just keep Pastor Brad in your prayers. Um, hopefully he'll be back on the platform sharing his heart with us soon. Uh, we love him and we miss him and we hope that he is resting well and starting to feel better. All right, we're in the middle of a series. You enjoying it? Yes. Uh, who has really like like starting to nail the lyrics of the song now? Anyone? Like, yep, got it. That is how the song goes. That is what the song is about. I was thinking, I mean, here's the thing. It's not really about the song. It's about the faithfulness of God in the lives of these uh, heroes of the faith. But it is sort of about making sure you know the words to the song. <laughs> like, have you ever been in the car? I don't know if this happens in the car. Maybe because you just listen to the radio in the car. Well, that's what we do. Anyway, radio. And that song comes on and you're singing along and you're like passenger driver and you're like sitting and, you sit, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to sing along. And then you're like, I don't know the words and you just fake it. Like, and they're like, then you get called out on it. Like, uh, turn that down. Sorry, what did you think the lyric was? Does that ever happen to you? It's embarrassing. We don't want that to happen <laughs> uh, when we're worshipping. And not because we want to get the lyrics right, but because we want to know what our heart is crying when we're praising God. And so I think it's really cool. I mean, this is, it's all about God's faithfulness to these Bible characters. But it is awesome when we come to a worship song and we're able to sing it and know with our heart and have our hearts cry. It's so authentic because we know the stories and we know what they're speaking about. And so that's what this series is a bit about. But mostly it's about God and, and his goodness. I'm excited. I'm so excited because I get to do David. Yes. If you, if you have been listening to the same God song, you will know David. We've been doing it in order. And David is not next in the order because I was supposed to be next week. And when Pastor Brad said, when we said, like, I'll preach this week, I was like, I'm not changing though. We're going to do it out of order. So you'll have to wait to find out about Mary next week, but today we're going to be looking at uh, 
David and the life of David. The lyric in the song is, uh, calling on the God of David who made a shepherd boy courageous. And I was like, that is a really good part of David's story. It's such a good part of David's story. There's other good parts though. And so then I had this wrestle of like, do we just nail down and look in at this one thing or do we do a big picture look? And, and touch on a, a couple of things through the life of David. And there is value in both of those things, but, but ultimately I landed on, we're going to have a bit of a look at the big picture view, because sometimes it's good to pull back and see, particularly when we're talking about God's faithfulness over a season, if we look at the whole sort of life of David, and I say whole, a few key moments in the life of David, and we're able to see uh, God's faithfulness through that, through that whole time. So it does mean that we're probably, I'm not, probably not going to talk closely about some of your favourite parts of the life of David or your favourite parts of the story. And there's definitely time for that. Like we could do like 10 weeks just on David, honestly. It's such good stuff. Uh, but we are going to sort of go over, because David is a lot of things, right? David is a lot of things in the Bible. Uh, I wrote them down so I'd remember. So like David, right? He's a king. A priestly, worshipping king, that's who we see him as. A shepherd boy, uh, a worshipper, a giant slayer. We hear him called the man after God's own heart. Like, there's a lot of uh, things we could call David. And so we're just going to touch on a couple of those sort of seasons of David's life and how faithful God was in those seasons, yeah? Good? On board. All right. So, we sort of have to do a... um, like, you know when you're watching a TV series and you're like, I've watched seven episodes, I don't need you to do a previously on, like, previously in the life of David. But we do, so we're just going to do a previously in the life of David uh, because we haven't just binge watched seven episodes. Some of you are like, I've never watched seven episodes of something in a row ever. <laughs> Anybody absolutely watch seven episodes of something? Yes, this is my people. <laughs> previously in the life of David, he was born... Lucky that happened. He's a, he's, a, uh, he's a youngest son. He has older brothers. Uh, he's a youngest son, which means uh, he's been out in the paddock looking after sheep. He's been a shepherd boy. That's pretty common for, like, the youngest sons in families to be shepherd boys. It just, it, it was a job that needed doing, and a lot of people did it, and it, wasn't, it was a very common job, and um, it, it was for the littlest brother, like, be so good when you, if you were a brother and then your little brother was born and you're like, yes, 10 more years and he can look after the sheep. <laughs> um, it was often a job for little brothers. It was the kind of job that um, honestly was quite difficult. So he's been out doing this difficult job. It's, uh, it, from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, you're caring for the sheep, shepherding them around, making sure they're getting to water and then bringing them home so they're safe at night. And then even at night, they're not having great sleep, like they're watching and counting and checking that like the fox isn't coming, like they're caring for the sheep. It was a hard job out in the day and then a hard job when you came home at night. And so David is, is a shepherd boy. And then he, uh, Samuel appoints him and says he's going to be the king and his brothers are like not vibing with that. And so that happens. Uh, and then he's also a, a great musician and he, uh, he gets a position where he's sometimes playing music in, uh, in Saul's court. Okay, so that's where we're at. There's also a war going on, and his brothers have gone to war, and they're, that's where they are, and he's at home caring for the sheep. So we're going to read David, the shepherd boy, and a faithful God. Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17, 4, says, A champion 
named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, and he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, and his legs wore, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back, and his spear and his shaft was like a weaver's rod, and the iron point weighed 600 shekels, and his, his shield bearer went ahead of him. All of that is to say, he's very big, and he's very intimidating. He's big, and he has like custom big man armour. He is a big guy, and he is is a scary big guy. And he stands, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Because what's happening is one army is on one side of the valley. If you know the story, you know, but if you don't, it's important to know. One army is on one side of the valley, and the other is on the other side of the valley. And every day... For 40 days, every day, they come and they stand at the edge and they look across the valley and the big scary man in his big scary armour yells and the Israelites are afraid and they run away. Every day for 40 days this happens. Crazy, right? So so he says to them, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing these words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That's how they've been acting for 40 days, dismayed and terrified. Every morning they're like, maybe today's the day. And they get up and they stand on their side of the valley and Goliath's on the other side of the valley and he yells at them and they're afraid. And that's what's happening on the, on the front line, right? Meanwhile, David is just like at home, taking care of his sheep, probably thinking, I wish I was at war. That seems like a little brother thing to want, right? Like, I want to be where the action is, not here looking after the sheep. And what happens is his dad basically sends him with a packed lunch for his brothers. (laughs) Like, take this food and go and check on your brothers and see what's going on. If I was the brothers, I don't, like, obviously I'm a sister, not a brother. And so I have brothers. I have a little sister, though. Imagine if I was, like, I was doing the cool thing, like, I'm I'm at war and, like, I'm the heroic hero. And then my little brother comes and just sees that actually for 40 days I've just been like, oh, no, that's a bit scary. My sister turned up with a packed lunch from my mum and I had just, I had to tell her, no, like, nothing's happened so far. We just stand here and get afraid and then we we quit for the... How embarrassing. Anyway, if I was his brothers, that would... Oh, you would just... Nothing worse than a punk little brother. It's about to get worse, though. It's about to get worse. Because in, in, in uh, 17, chapter 17, verse 20, it says, here he comes with his pack lunch, early in the morning, David left his flock in the care of a shepherd, uh, loaded up and set out as Jesse, that's their dad, had directed. And he reached the camp where the army was going out into its battle positions, shouting a war cry. Honestly, he's probably like rolling up thinking, I'm about to be here when the action is happening. This is so exciting. Uh, And Israel and the Palestines uh, were drawing up their lines and facing each other. And so David just left the things that he brought with him with the keeper of supplies, and he ran to the battle lines. And he asked his brothers how they were. (laughs) And as he was talking with them, Goliath, 
big scary giant man, comes out, uh, <clears throat> steps out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him with great fear. They are still running 40 days later. He comes out and he yells and they run. We're getting this picture right? And David, a shepherd boy, thinks, I could probably deal with that. I could probably do, I mean, and, and then, with God, who is with me, who has protected me before, I could probably handle that giant scary man in his giant scary armour. If I was his brothers, I mean. <laughs> and so he does. He tells Saul, he says, hey, I think I can deal with that. I think I can, I can deal with that. And so for 40 days, Goliath has been outstanding, asking for a man to come into battle. And on the 40th day, a shepherd boy comes and says, I can do it. I can do it. And so Saul replies in verse 33, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant, meaning himself, has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. And I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, and I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has uh, defied the armies of the living God. And then he says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And so David says to Saul, go, and the Lord will be with you. So... Some other things happen. Saul tries to put his armour on him. It doesn't fit him because, of course, it doesn't. Like, things that we're, we, it's good, but we're not going to dwell on this morning. But what happens is he, like, he does. He does it, right? That's the story. We know, most of us know that part of the story. He takes down the giant, okay? A shepherd boy and a faithful, faithful God. Here's some things we need to know about a shepherd boy. It is a hard and difficult job. And he even notes it here, that the things that he's experienced in that, lions and bears, that's what he's experienced, right? And those things have prepared him for this moment. That common and lowly and unspecial job for a littlest brother have prepared him for this exact moment here. Have put him in a place where not only does he have the skills, but he also has a a bold assurance and capacity to say, I know that God will protect me because he has done it before. God has protected me before and I know he will do it again now. He didn't let the lions get me. He didn't let the bears get me. I know how to do this and I know that God will protect me. He has an absolute assurance in the faithfulness of God. Prepared for a moment just like this. And when he comes to face Goliath, he says, the Lord who rescued me, right? He, he, he even tells Saul, like, the Lord has rescued me. And I know, even as a teenage boy, that I can do this because God has proven himself faithful to me again and again and again. And in a very unsurprising turn of events, Goliath falls. And then in verse 47, he says, and all, it says, all those who are gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear, but the Lord saves. For, this ba- for the battle is the Lord's, and, we'll give it, and he will give all of you into our hands, right? It's not about the shepherd boy, it's about a good and faithful God. 
And I think that's going to be a reoccurring theme for us this morning, right? It's not about David, a shepherd boy. It's not about other seasons of David's life. It is about the continuing faithfulness of God, the continuing faithfulness of God to his people and to David. So some questions, because I think questions sort of help us like, okay, that's great, but like, how do I, what does that, what does it matter? What does it mean for me? Here's some questions that sort of I came out of this asking. What is God preparing you for? What are you being prepared for? Perhaps you feel a bit like you're in a younger brother situation, just stuck doing the boring job that nobody else wants to do, that you have to do because it has to be done and you're the littlest, so you're the one who gets stuck doing it. Maybe you're in a job that you don't love. Maybe you're studying a course that's really difficult. Maybe you're in a season of parenthood that is hard, where you feel like you're not doing anything fun, just taking care of your kids. Maybe, I don't know, like what, what season of life are you in? Are you being prepared for something? What is it that you might be being prepared for? Perhaps you're being prepared for the next thing. Sometimes those seasons can feel frustrating. Like, I could be doing more. I could be, I, I could be more helpful. I could be... But like Dave, David, at the exact right moment, was exactly where he needed to be and had been prepared perfectly for that moment. So what is it that perhaps right now God is preparing you for? What's being prepared in your abilities, but also in your heart? What's being developed in your faith? What is God preparing you for in this season that will be incredible in the next? And then the other question that challenged me, when was the last time I faced a Goliath? Because the lyric of the song, okay, it's not about the song, but there's a lyric in the song that says, I may not face Goliath, but I have my own giants. When was the last time you stood before Goliath that required you to be faithful, that required you to trust God? And sometimes these things come upon us and we don't like 100% get a choice, like there's trial and there's challenge, there's difficult things in life and they come up like a Goliath before us and we have to have faith and be faithful and remain faithful and trust that God who has been there for us before will continue to be. That there's that kind of Goliath. But there's also, uh, like, when was the last time you prayed a prayer so big that you would look stupid if God didn't answer it? When was the last time you were bold in your faith? When was the last time that you said, I see that mountain in front, I see that giant before me, and I believe that God can? When was the last time our faith was stretched in that way, where we had to believe God to come through? A 12-year-old, like, I don't know, who was he, 12? Young, an adolescent boy standing before a giant that has been frightening an army of grown men for 40 days. I believe that God can do this. When was the last time we were in a position where our faith had to be stretched that way? And that sort of leads to this third way, I think, is like in the following of our calling, When was the last time, and this is the thing that really challenges me, right? Like, when was the last time that my my calling, my belief in what God was doing in me and through me and through this church and in our community, when was the last time that I had to step out in a faith so bold to trust God? Because I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, there are seasons of faith where I just think, this is cool, this is cruisy, I go to church, I've got a great small group. I love doing ministry, the young adults are amazing, youth ministry is cool, and I am sweet. 
and it requires no stretching of my faith and it requires no faithfulness to believe that God, because I'm not doing anything that I couldn't do myself. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I could do that, so it's fine. Like, I don't have to trust God. I don't have to rely on him. But there's a call that we step into our calling, that we step into what, is, what God is doing in a way that requires us to trust him. There are so many times in Scripture where we're called to be bold and we're called to be courageous. To be bold and to be courageous. When was the, when was the last time that we actually were acting in a way, trusting God in a way that required us to be bold and courageous? when we were believing for big things that required us to trust him boldly and courageously. That challenged me hugely, hugely. There's a quote, um, and I read it in a book by Benet Brown called Daring Greatly. She's super cool. She writes leadership books that are just like, not like any other kind of leadership book you would read. But the quote is actually Teddy Roosevelt. I'm going to read it to you. Okay. Because I think it sort of, you'll see. It is not the critic who counts. It is not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. And so that his his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. When was the last time, truly, your faith was stretched to a place where you had to dare greatly? where if God didn't come through, you would have failed greatly, where if you didn't trust in his faithfulness, it might not have worked out. For me, that was a huge challenge because I like to be comfortable. What a challenge to us to see a shepherd boy stand before Goliath. When that lyric says, but I have my own giants, do I? Am I praying bold prayers? Am I bringing my challenges and trials to God? And am I stepping out in my calling, believing that God will make a way because he has been faithful before and he will be again? Let us be bold and courageous. All right, so there's David, a shepherd boy. Just a couple of little nuggets from David, a shepherd boy. The other aspect of David I'd like to look at is one of my favourites. One of my favourites, right? Uh, And this is uh, around David, like the worshipper this worshipping, worshipping king. Because it was definitely, David was definitely the kind of guy who was like out there in the arena doing the things, daring greatly, getting it done, right? So he's king now. We're skipping ahead in the story. He's a king now and uh, he decides that he, like he wants to start a plan. He wants the temple rebuilt. He wants the people to have a place to come and worship. And one of the things he wants for that is to have the Ark of the Covenant back. He wants it back where it belongs, right? And so uh, let's re- we're going to read what happens and then we'll do some context of this. This, uh, this is in 2 Samuel and it is uh, chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 3. He's gone to get the ark and he's got it on a cart and it's being pulled by an oxen. So he's got the ark of the covenant up on a 
on a cart being pulled by. Great. And so they set the ark of God on a cart and brought it from the house of Aniabab, which was on a hill. And Uzar and Ohio, sons of Aniabab, were were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it, and David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with all these different instruments, harps. I should have read them all before I got up here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> all those different instruments. And when they came to the threshing floor of Anakion, Uzar reached out, and he took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzar because of his irreverent act, and therefore the Lord struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. And then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzar. And to this day, the place is still called Perez-Uzar. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David. So instead, he took it to the house of um, Obed-Edom, the the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. And so now David was told, the Lord has been blessing the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. And so David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And while he and all of Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. So here's some things you need to know about the ark for this story to make sense. It should not have been on the back of a cart. It absolutely should not have been on the back of a cart. In fact, uh, in Exodus, God gives very, very clear instructions on how the ark is to be built, what is to be put in it, how it should be treated, and how it should be carried. And I could read you that whole section also, but I'm not going to, but I encourage you, go and look, because it is long and it is repetitive. Like, it's exactly like this and just exactly like this over and over, and it's shaped like this, and it will have this on the top of it, and this inside it, and it should not have ever, ever, ever been on the back of a cart. So the reason, the reason, like, God's cross, the the oxen stumbles, Uzziah's like, whoa, don't have that fall, and he's just like that, God takes him out. It seems shocking, if we don't know the context that is, That's not how God told them to treat it. That's not how God told them to move it. That's not how they should have been doing the things. I don't see it clearly here, uh, but if you read sort of like, you can almost read like companion style, like Chronicles along with Samuel, and you see like some different um, aspects of David's story. What happens in the in-between that isn't like explicit here is that he's like, David's like, I don't want the ark if it's going to, like, if my friend, he touched it and he died, absolutely not. We're going to leave it here. And then he goes away and he looks into why this happened. And why I think, like, this is so interesting and encouraging to me is that as he's looking for instruction on, like, like why God? Like, what I'm trying to, he's thinking, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to return the ark to its people. I'm trying to create a place for us to worship together. 
the implication is that he does some research because when he comes back, he moves the ark correctly. Do you want me to tell you how? He's supposed to be moving it. It's exciting. Shouldn't be on a cart. On the side of the ark, on each side, there's two rings on each side, like big ones. And what's supposed to happen is then there's supposed to be two poles that go through those two rings on either side and people are supposed to carry it. It's not supposed to be on the back of a cart. It's supposed to be carried by the people, right? And so then it would take at least four, maybe more guys, on the poles to lift it and carry it. That's how God designed for it to be carried. But sort of as default, sort of as a byproduct of of David's looking to see, how am I supposed to do this then, God? We can infer, we can assume that he sees and looks through the history of the ark, of his people, and he sees God's faithfulness, how faithful God has been. And so when he comes to move it, and it says that he, he takes six steps, they take six steps with the ark and they put it down and they worship the Lord. It's not just like, woohoo, we moved the ark. It is a worship of who God had been to them through generations and generations and generations. And so we see again David, a shepherd boy, and now David, a worshipping king, seeing the faithfulness of God. He sees it and because of it, he worships. The other cool thing about the ark is that at this time, it is where the presence of God met with his people. And so they pick up the ark and they carry the presence of God for six steps and then they put it down and they worship him. Some biblical scholars reckon that from where they were all the way to where they were going, they worshipped and they put the ark down and they danced every six steps the whole way there for the privilege it was to carry the presence of their God, for the privilege it was to carry the presence of their faithful, faithful God who had been faithful through generations and generations, who had been faithful to a shepherd boy and now was being faithful to them. For the privilege it was for them to carry the presence of that God for six steps, every six steps on the way to the mountain. They worshipped God. That's amazing. It's a part of David's story that, like, I don't hear people talk about a lot, but I honestly think it's just the coolest, coolest thing, the privilege that it is to carry the presence of God for six steps, and they worshipped. They worshipped. So some questions then, again, for us to ask. When you look back, how often do you look back and see God's faithfulness and have it spur you on for what is next? There's this sort of idea, like, don't look back, you're not going that way, but also do look back a little. Do look back and see God's faithfulness through generations and in your own life and have that spur you on for the next thing. Have it spur us on for the next thing. God has been so faithful to us. God has been so faithful to this church. Let that spur us on to the next thing. For the privilege it is to be part of his family. And when you look ahead to what God is doing, do you dance and sing and praise him? Like we live in a time where like we we get to experience God in a whole different way. As vessels of the Holy Spirit, like we are carrying the presence of God with us. Imagine if every six steps that I took, I stopped just to give thanks. Just to give thanks for the privilege it is to be a vessel of God. For the privilege it is to be a carrier of his presence that good and faithful God. When was the last time that we just poured out ourselves in worship to him? 
thankful for who he is and, and for the privilege it is to be his and for the privilege it is to be known and loved by him. A good and faithful God through generations and generations. When you look back, do you see God's faithfulness? And when you look ahead, do you praise him for the privilege of carrying his presence? David goes through a lot of things. And we're almost there. I just want to touch on one other sort of aspect of David's story and his life. Because it, be, it can be easy to like talk about how great David is. But I think we can all agree there are some times where David doesn't make the greatest of choices. That even after all his experience, he doesn't trust in the Lord. So we see, we see I'm conscious of small ears in the room and on the stream. Um, but when it comes to the part of the story where David behaves abusively, where he sees somebody else's wife and thinks, I'll have that, And yet we still see him listed as a man after God's own heart. And we're like, that's conflicting, right? Like, that's not, that's not, not who we have seen David be until this point. He sees somebody else's wife and he thinks, I will have that. And let's be clear, he's in a position of authority where she is in no position to say no. And then when he thinks, that's a stupid idea, actually. That, that was unwise and... Uh, foolish, he, with his big brain thinking, thinks, I know how I will cover up this one act of violence, I'll cover it up with another, and I'll have her husband killed. I don't know about you, but like that to me sits in such contrast to who we have seen David be before, a shepherd boy and a worshipping king, now not trusting God at all, just acting out of his own desire behaving in a way that I think we can all agree if someone in leadership now behaved that way, that person would be stepped down. They wouldn't, like, that's not something we tolerate. (laughs) That kind of behaviour would not be tolerated. After all that David has seen, and, like, let's be clear, there's consequences too for David's actions. Like, if you read through the story, what happens next, like, there's consequences. God doesn't let David off lightly. After all that he's seen of God's faithfulness, after all that he's seen of God's goodness, he acts in this way that is abhorrent. I think in this room, I can confidently say that we all think the behaviour of David and his actions with Bathsheba were not okay and would not be tolerated in the community of SBC. And... And there can be a tendency to think, well, like, I would never behave as badly as David did. Well, good. It's sort of the bare minimum, isn't it? Not to behave with violence, not to abuse our authority, not to, like, if you're not going to behave like David did, you don't get a gold star for that. That's the bare minimum. And it's not even so much about, again, it wasn't really about David when he was a shepherd boy. It was about God's faithfulness. And, and this worship, worshipping king we see carrying the presence of God, it's not really about David there either. It's about a faithful God. And so we look here too. It's not about David. It's about a faithful God and the, the position of our heart and the state of our heart, the condition of our heart. And, and so I think 
this brings some questions to mind also for us, some challenge for us. Are we guarding our hearts? Are we guarding our hearts? Because, like, it doesn't get much better for David after, like, after this. He just makes a few other dodgy decisions. Like, instead of trusting God to deliver them from battle again, he decides, like, him and his army will be fine and they'll figure it out. And he, like, hides away and protects himself. Like, he, he, he behaves in a way that shows us that he doesn't have the, the faithfulness that we've seen in him before. He doesn't trust in the faithfulness of God in the way that he has before. And to me, reads of evidence that he has not protected his heart. So a difficult question for us to ask is, am, am I guarding my heart? And am I coming back always to who God is? Because it can be, it, we can look at David and think, I would never do that, of course. But I don't know about you, I, I could easily drift. It's easy to say I'm not going to drift this far, but would I drift? If I wasn't protecting my heart, if I wasn't coming back to God, if I wasn't worshipping him, if I wasn't believing that he is who he says he is, would I find myself in a position like David where I don't trust in the Lord anymore? Where I trust in my own strength instead? Like what happened to this shepherd boy who believed he could take down Goliath? This worshipping king who saw the faithfulness of God and carried his presence for six steps that he's now in this place where he doesn't trust God really at all. There's one like little redeeming moment where he offers himself as a sacrifice for his people, but otherwise we see David just disappear into a selfishness and a mistrust of who God is. Through all of David's life, it is a story about God's faithfulness. How faithful is God? And really, it's not about David at all. It's more about us this morning. It's about you and I and a faithful God, not a shepherd boy and a faithful God, a worshipping king and a faithful God, a sinful man and a faithful God. It's about you and I and a faithful, faithful God. So I ask again, what is God preparing us for? in this season? When was the last time our faith required us to face a Goliath with courage and boldness? When we look back, do we see God's faithfulness and have it encourage us and spur us forward? When we look toward him, do we dance and sing for the privilege it is to carry his presence? Are we guarding our hearts? Are we coming back again and again to who he is. Let us be people who live in a way that requires us to trust in God, to trust in his faithfulness. Let us pray big prayers and let us believe big dreams and let us declare healing and salvation and hope and believe that this God, who has been faithful through generations, will be so again. We're going to worship. The band's going to get up. We're going to sing the song that we've been singing for weeks. And, and sometimes in our services, the last song comes and we take that as like, all right, so now's the time where I can just go out and I'm going to set up coffee because I'm doing that. And I'm going to, I don't want, and like, we're still worshiping together. 
And as we sing and as we, as we declare, let God minister to us and to our hearts this morning. Let our cry be the cry of our heart as we worship this morning. Oh God, oh God, I need you. How I need you. Oh rock of ages, I am standing on your faithfulness. I am calling on the God of David who made a shepherd boy courageous. And I may not face Goliath, but I will face my own giants with you at my side, Lord. You who have been faithful before and will continue to be and will be again. Oh my God, I need you. Why don't you stand? Maybe this morning one of these particular seasons of David's life resonates with you. Maybe you are standing before a Goliath requiring courage. Maybe you are looking back and seeing how good God has been and believing with all your heart that he can be again. Maybe your heart has drifted from him. Let this morning be a morning where we come to him together where we stand before him and declare, oh my God, I need you. Oh my God, I trust you. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for what you were doing in our hearts this morning and we ask that we would see you for who you are this morning. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to carry your presence. have mercy on us this morning, creating us a a clean heart and a new spirit. God, we thank you that you made a shepherd boy courageous, but you make us courageous also because you are with us. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. we lift you up and we praise you this morning because you are a faithful God. In Jesus' name, amen.